If you've got a Bible, uh, please feel free to get it out or on your phone to open your app. And in a few minutes, we will be reading a section of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. This is, believe it or not, the last week in our year-long Kingdom of God series. It's been a long one, but it's been a good one. Be reassured, the Kingdom of God does not disappear after this morning. And we, this term, have been talking particularly about kingdom power, that God reigns, that God is over everything. He is all-powerful. He's omnipotent. And he is our God. God has always reigned over all things. And his reign, his kingdom, decisively, of course, broke in to history in the coming of the person of Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit. So much so did the presence and power of God come in the person of Jesus that the early disciples came not only to believe that Jesus is God, the exalted king, but they were experiencing his reign as the exalted king right among them. God was walking among them. And while life now in this age is not yet perfection, that's yet to come, it is a matter of power. God's reign has come. His power, his presence are manifested in his people, among his people, and through his people. Now, when we think, and particularly this term as we've thought about kingdom power, when we think about the power of God's reign and his kingdom coming, I'd suggest to you we usually have in mind things changing in a positive direction. Things that we've talked about this term, a healing perhaps, spiritual gifts being exercised, a breakthrough in someone experiencing freedom, someone coming to faith in Jesus. But there's another way that God's power, his kingdom, his reign is displayed in his people. In our suffering, his power is displayed. Just as power breaks through something that is a hindrance, that same power also holds together what would otherwise fall apart. The same power that can break through something, wasn't sure it was going to go quite that far, accepting the limitations of Jenga illustrations, that same power that breaks through also holds together. That is true of the kingdom of God. That is true of his reign among us. Now, suffering is a universal experience, of course. What is suffering? It's the presence of unwanted physical, mental, emotional, relational, or spiritual distress. And the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, is littered with suffering. It's littered with God breaking out in really positive ways. And it's also littered with people experiencing distress and trouble. Old Testament characters suffered, Jesus suffered, believers in the early church suffered, and we have 
Sorry for the grim news. We have absolutely no warrant for believing that God will always keep suffering from us. Here are a few illustrations of references to suffering in the New Testament. You read in Acts chapter 5 that the apostles are going around and loads of people are being healed. It's a wonderful chapter. If you flip over into Acts chapter 6, you'll find that there's a dispute between two groups of people, one of whose widows are being overlooked. By definition, all the healings in Acts chapter 5 hasn't prevented there being widows who've suffered the loss of their husbands. In Acts chapter 12, there's a wonderful story of Peter as the church are praying, Peter being miraculously released from prison. What a story. They're praying for him, and yet there's somehow some lack of expectation because when he comes knocking on the door, they don't know who it is or they can't believe it's him. In that very same chapter, before you get to that story, James, John, is beheaded. Don't tell me the church weren't praying for him as well. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. Relational pain is also the reason for some of Paul's letters. There's suffering littered throughout the Bible. Other suffering in the New Testament includes distress at people's sinful choices, loads of persecution going on, and the ongoing battle that everyone in the New Testament and every Christian today has against the world, the flesh, and the devil. We should remember that all of that takes place in the light of the kingdom of God having come, of the Holy Spirit having been poured out, of God very much be, being, excuse me, present with his people. None of that suffering is evidence that God is absent. None of it is necessarily evidence that we are sinning. None of it is evidence that God has withdrawn his blessing. So God's miraculous power delivers from things. And God's miraculous power equips his people as they suffer. Any fair reading of the Bible has to conclude that it's often in the most difficult situations that God's power and presence are manifest. I suspect you know that in your own life too. Now Paul gives us a famous example. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he's writing to this church and he's outlining, he's having to sort of justify his apostleship, he's outlining all the ways he's suffered, which are many. And at the end of that chapter, he says, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. And then we get to chapter 12, which we're going to read a few verses from, as I said. So I continue with his argument here. If I... He says, I must go on boasting, although there is nothing to be gained. I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord that he's had, down to verse 6. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain, so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say, or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore... In order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, 
a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Some amazing statements of Paul there. There's been loads of debate over the centuries about what is Paul's thorn. It's probably very helpful that we don't know because then we can apply it more generally to all of us. But some people say it was a temptation. Other people say, no, it was probably a physical ailment. And the possibilities that have been suggested range from a chronic eye problem to malaria to migraines to epilepsy to a speech difficulty. Others say, no, this thorn was an opponent. That's actually what the view that I think is right. But hey, whichever it was, what we have here, remember, is someone full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit, who's seen countless miracles happen, who has yet repeatedly been given the answer no to this request for relief from suffering. You'll know, as I do, another who received a no to his request to avoid suffering in the Garden of Gethsemane. What Paul, in effect, hears here is God saying this, I'm not going to express my power by removing your suffering, at least not just now, but I will express my power in your suffering. If God doesn't remove your suffering and your difficulties and your oppression and your struggles, he is still present in your situation with his power. Now, this is a unique situation that Paul is facing here. But what can we see about God's power at work here in Paul's suffering and in your suffering? I know there'll be all sorts of people in this room who are suffering greatly. Some who are suffering in a smaller way. Others for whom there's not much suffering, but there will be. So firstly, what we can see is this. God is still working in Paul's suffering. All suffering, by definition, pains us. Whether that's physically, mentally, emotionally, relationally, spiritually. And part of the challenge or the pain, the challenge of the pain, the challenge of the suffering, certainly that i found is, I don't know how you feel, is it's such a waste of time. Don't you find that? I could be getting on with stuff. I could be doing this. This limitation that this suffering is bringing is such a waste of time, a waste of opportunity, a waste of freedom, of potential, of, God, if you sorted this situation out, surely your name would be glorified. Haven't you ever thought that? But God is never not at work, even in what can seem to us like wasted time. Bill Wilson ended up an alcoholic in the 
20th century in the United States. And he became a massive, massive help to alcoholics. He had a terrible background, all sorts of problems, all sorts of troubles. His conclusion was, through decades of suffering, that in God's economy, nothing is wasted. When my boys were young, I used to watch with them a program called Scrap Heap Challenge. Anybody know that one? Oh, yeah, it's a major fan over there. Oh, yeah, you're, you're wearing a Scrap Heap Challenge T-shirt, I see. It's a great program. Two teams of people who had some expertise and someone who really knew what they were doing went on this program to a scrapyard. And they were tasked with building a go-kart or a boat or a... I don't know, I can't remember quite how... I don't think they ever had to build a plane or anything like that, but they had to build a mechanism to do something out of nothing but scrap. It was a proper scrapyard. What people had thrown away as absolutely useless, these people had the skill and the knowledge to take things, put it together, put some other bits together, and make something worthwhile out of it. You know, God is just like that. He's able to take the things that you wish were not, the things that seem like a waste of time, the things that seem absolutely rubbish, and turn them for good. That doesn't make them good necessarily, but he turns them for good. So what is God doing here with Paul? Even though he's suffering, he's opposed, he's limited, he's restricted, what is God doing? God, Paul says here, is at work on Paul's character, keeping him, verse 7, from becoming conceited. There must have been some danger from these great revelations and so on that he believed that God had said to him, I'm allowing this so that you are kept from being conceited. You're kept humble. And in Paul's case, it's a messenger of Satan sent to torment me, he says, to buffet him, to harass him, to strike him. In what is happening to Paul, there is real evil intent. The enemy comes to kill and steal and destroy. And that is what the intent behind this messenger of Satan is in Paul's life. And yet... God is still in control. Paul is not saying God has withdrawn his blessing and his presence from me and left Satan wide open to have a complete go at me. God is still in control, even allowing mystery here, hey? Allowing this evil work. So Paul says, I was given a thorn. The sense is that God allowed him to be given a thorn. Those of you who know some of the Old Testament stories will know about, the, about Job, Job's story. Anything that happened to him, however evil it was, you could never say God had sent it, I don't believe, but you can say God, under his completely sovereign reign, is allowing, which is very challenging for us, but also a great comfort. 
The presence of suffering does not equal the absence of God. The presence of suffering does not equal the withdrawal of his blessing. But God is not, God is not only in control, as if sitting back, allowing. God is working. Paul is very sure in his suffering here. Now, I, I'm not saying that your suffering is that easily explained. This is not a one-size-fits-all situation. I'm certainly not saying that the devil is behind your suffering. The reason you're suffering is, well, a messenger of Satan's been sent. I'm I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is this, that God is at work, even in the scrap heap, to sanctify us further. I should say at this point that we need to be a little bit careful in certain matters. Imagine, for example, that your boss is cheating. He's lying to you, he's stealing from the company, and it's having effects on you. Well, I'm suffering, and I guess God's doing something. No, you must speak up for justice. If someone is in an abusive situation, relationship, it's not okay to say, well, I guess what, Tim, I guess what Paul is saying to us here is that we should just endure and God will do something with it. No, no, no. Justice must come into play as well. You must balance the two. But we do believe Romans 8.28, don't we? We like to quote Romans 8.28, but we do believe it. We know that in all things, everything, anything, God works for the good of those who love him. Even when I cannot possibly see what that could be. I've never done a tapestry, but I gather that however beautiful the tapestry is on the front... If you go round the back and have a look at it, there's ends all over the place. Is that correct? It's beautiful one side, and it looks a shocking mess round the other. In all things, God is working for the good of those who love him. And one day, here's, here's a belief of mine, one day, all the mess... I might be going too far to say it will all make sense one day. But you will get a different view on your mess one day. Because from the perspective of eternity and knowing God and being known fully and knowing what he's done fully, you will be able to see not just the messy side, but the beautiful side. Because God is always at work for the good Does it always feel good? No. But in all things, everything, anything, he is working for the good of those who love him. So for all the natural, understandable instinct to avoid suffering, God has a way of working in and through our suffering such that it becomes a tool in his hands 
shaping us for our ultimate good. Philip Yancey, famous writer from the United States, said, from many witnesses, and he has witnessed and talked to a whole load of suffering, from many witnesses, I've concluded that pain redeemed impresses me more than pain removed. We're concerned with how things turn out. God seems more concerned with how we turn out. When we pray at the end, I'm going to want to encourage you to trust that God is at work for good in your suffering. Secondly, God gives Paul grace in his suffering. God is never ungracious. There are all sorts of things God cannot do. He cannot not be faithful. He cannot be ungracious, for example. Even when suffering means there's a mystery, he's never being ungracious. So whatever Paul doesn't know, he does know God is good and God is love always. Here's a little tip for life. When there are things you don't know, go back to the things you do know. I don't mean put your head in the sand or ignore those, but do go back and stand on the things you do know. Paul does just that. And here's what he hears Paul, here's God say to him in verse 9. My grace is sufficient for you. I would translate that as meaning God saying, I'll be enough for you in this. So God's grace didn't transform Paul's circumstances, but he did graciously transform Paul and his experience of his circumstances in this instance. But what does my grace is sufficient for you really look like? Well, here's a few suggestions. It means that God will empower Paul to stand in the midst of the pressure and empower him to walk through this. How many of you know sometimes just standing is a triumph? Isn't that right? Like in Ephesians chapter 6, stand. Four times he says, stand. It's a triumph sometimes to stand. God's grace will empower that, to know his amazing, unconditional favor in the midst of suffering, to provide what Paul needs and the people he needs to sustain him as he suffers, to enable Paul to find joy in God and the gospel in the suffering. Knowing God's presence and knowing that nothing can dim the eternal bright hope that we have in God. And here's the thing that I think, grace comes as you need it. I don't think it's like this. I don't think it's that God, is the kingdom comes, God meets you in power, and suddenly you have all the bundles of grace, the enabling power I'm ever going to need for life. I don't care what happens next, I've got all I need of God for everything that's ever going to happen. I don't think it's like that. I think grace comes as you need it. It's like a combi boiler, not like a tank. In my house, I have a tank of hot water. I'm sure it's very inefficient, but there you are. That's what I've got. So the tank heats up, and I've always got a whole tank. In a previous house, we had a combi boiler. The hot water came as you turn the tap on. It came when needed. When needed, the boiler kicked in and hot water could come. I think it's more like that. 
Because sometimes people think, how will, I wouldn't be able to cope with that. But you, haven't, you don't need grace for it yet. Grace will come when you need it. I remember a girl who did Alpha with us many years ago. She had this brilliant idea of what faith was. It was the Alpha session, how can I have faith? What's faith look like? And she said, brilliant. She said, I think faith is a bit like fog. You know fog? When you, I mean, if it's really foggy, I can't see the wall there. What I can see is this, yeah? I can see a step ahead. And as I make a step ahead, oh, I can see the next step. I can see the next step. And eventually I'll get to the wall, yes? But I, couldn't, I can't see the wall all at once. I think it's a bit like that. I remember talking a number of months ago, earlier this year, with Alan and Anne Kendall facing her cancer and potential whatevers. And I used this fog faith illustration to say, I think God will give you grace when you need it for each step. I think that's how God's enabling power works as we need it. However intense and tough Paul's situation still was, his struggle was no longer just an interruption. It was no longer just an attack or a problem or a negative. It became an opportunity, albeit an unwanted one, an opportunity for experiencing God's gracious enabling power. I believe he'll do the same for you as you need his enabling power in your life. And finally, God is working for his glory in Paul's suffering. God is at work. He's giving grace and he's working for his own glory in Paul's suffering. Paul says some strange things in these verses. I don't know if you spotted it when we read it. In verses 9 and 10. Anybody feel like this? I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. When did you last feel like that? I'm not sure I ever have. He says, I delight <laughs> in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. This sounds like crazy talk. Is it crazy talk? I don't think it is crazy talk because he gives reasons. The Christian faith always has reasons not just to have faith. He says, I will boast because my God's power is made perfect in weakness. How can I delight? How can I boast and say, right, chin up in this? Because God's power is being made perfect in my weakness. However, I don't like that verse. I would be much happier if it said, my power is made perfect in your strength. Tim, I promise you will always feel strong. Tim, I promise that you will always blast through any obstacle. That's not Paul's experience here. God's power is made perfect where? In weakness. How strange does that sound? How like God does that sound? Part of the reason being... Lanray is really struggling. He's very weak. But you know what? He's still got joy in God. Where does that come from? Well, it's not the weak vessel, is it? It's the treasure that's in there. 
And he also says that he will delight. For, says, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in the hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For Christ's sake. God is always at work for our good, but he is also always at work for Christ's sake, for God to be glorified, which of course is the whole point of everything at the end of the day. Joni Erickson Tada, some of you will know of her and her terrible diving accident at the age of 17. She's been through decades of suffering like I personally have not a clue about. She said many things, including this. A no answer to my request for miraculous physical healing has meant, this is her personal experience, has meant purged sin, a love for the lost, increased compassion, stretched hope, an appetite for grace, an increase of faith, a happy longing for heaven, a desire to serve, a delight in prayer, and a hunger for his word. Oh, she says, and she's very serious, and I say it with sensitivity. Oh, bless the stern schoolmaster that is my wheelchair. How can she say that? Because there is power yet in her weakness. Because for Christ's sake, and that he is glorified, and that she is filled with more delight in him, she has found that God has still been at work for her good and his glory. And friends, it's not surprising that the road should be this way. We know a saviour who suffered and died in seeming absolute weakness and utter foolishness, as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And yet in that moment, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, God's power and wisdom are being displayed. In weakness, I am strong with his strength so powerfully at work in me. If God's kingdom can come in my weakness and my suffering, if his power can rest on me in my weakness and suffering, if somehow this weakness and suffering can be for Christ's sake, for my good and more importantly for his glory, then I can be at peace there. Many of you are suffering, I am absolutely sure. Or you have suffered or you surely will suffer. And God's power is, has been, and will be at work in you. No less his kingdom coming than in healing and salvation and deliverance. I wonder if we could just all close our eyes and just have a ponder about where life is with you. Perhaps you have suffered and you've never, well, you may still have questions, but you've never managed to see that God has been anywhere in it. And I completely understand that. Or maybe you are suffering. Or someone you know is really suffering. And in a minute, 
those for whom that applies. We're just going to ask you to stand so we know we can pray. And say, God, may your kingdom come. May your will be done for as long as you allow this suffering. So if you know if you know that you have unresolved suffering or you are suffering, I would love to pray for you. I would love to trust that the kingdom of God is going to come and his reign will be expressed in your life. So if you're suffering in some way or represent someone who's really suffering, there must be loads of people because that's just how life is in this age. Would you just like to stand, please? I'm not going to ask you to do anything else except stand. Please don't worry. Just all around the room. And when you stood, please start talking to God. Just be brutally honest with him. He knows anyway, so you can't hide. Say, God, this is where I am. This is what's going on. This is what has happened. Some of it might be way too big to deal with in these few minutes. I totally understand. Just talk to him. Be honest. Be open. know for absolutely sure that the presence of suffering does not equal the absence of God. It does not equal a lack of faith on your part. It does not automatically mean that you have sinned. God is very present in your suffering. Holy Spirit, you are right here, right now. And ask God for any lies that have been tormenting. God, will you please begin to banish them? I pray you will blast them out of your the way. May truth obliterate lies truth about your care truth about your knowledge truth about your work truth that you are good what's true is true pray Lord for a nugget of truth to take away and feast on ask Lord where there's any bitterness that has crept in. Lord, will you please melt it away? Lord, where there is fear about the future, Grace will come when the tap gets turned on. 
thank you, Lord. You are absolutely 100% faithful. You will never let any one of your children go. And you will be enough for every day and every situation. My grace is sufficient. My power is made perfect in weakness. Well, may your power come. Power to break through. Power to stand. I pray for those who will leave this building and walk back into their context of suffering. Lord, may power come. Nothing's changed, but I seem to have changed. Lord, may your power come just as Paul experienced himself. Here's what I'm going to suggest. For those of you who've responded, you may feel fine. That was great. Done for the moment. Others of you might feel, I've just, I really need someone to pray with me. I'm going to suggest that if you know someone here, you ask them to pray for you. The family can support the family. If you're not sure who that is, please come down to the front. There will be people here very happy to pray with you. May God bless you in knowing that His grace is sufficient. Lord, may your kingdom come and your will be done in every one of these situations represented here. In Jesus' name and for His glory. Amen.